You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum Podcast Lions Preview. We've had a couple of weeks off to recharge the batteries, and Dan Killick is like a is like a caged animal, ready to get stuck into Lions chat. Uh, we've also got a few other things to talk about as well. It's been a busy couple of weeks while we've been off. Uh, we've also got the Reformed Pro 1416. It's going to be called the United Rugby Championship, which is uh, something to look forward to. We'll get stuck into that, get the boys' opinions on that. Uh, Alex Cuthbert is heading back to Wales. Uh, Corey Hill is heading away from Wales. So, yeah, no shortage of stuff going on in the two weeks that we've been absent. Uh, but as I say, our very own Gavin Henson, we've managed his game time very, very carefully and he's he's here he's promised us a massive performance how are you Dan? Yeah I'm very good Jed feeling fresh as you said and sporting quite a nice tan which I know you haven't you or Murph haven't picked up on yet but it's not bad is it? No we haven't picked up tans ourselves either have we but judging <laughs> by the state of us. No a little little bit pale got a bit of work to do but um, yeah I've had a couple of weeks off had been to the Lake District down to Wittering a period of isolation as well so it's been um yeah it's been uh all all systems go i did enjoy that the other day when you said oh i can't do a podcast because uh i'm in isolation we i mean i haven't seen you face to face for close to two years now we've <laughs> been doing all of these via zoom so why you're in isolation made any difference i don't uh i don't know i think you might have momentarily believed the daydream that you were gavin henson and we were going into training but mighty murph's here to officiate with us as well how you doing murph Good, thanks. You? Yeah, good. Uh, let's start. Let's start. Let's dive straight in with the Lions, shall we? Because it's only a couple of days away. We've had the team announcement. We've got the first game up at Murrayfield against uh, against Japan. A game which we're not sure whether it's got test status or not. I think it even cropped up in Gatlin's press conference the other day. Someone asked him whether it, it should have test status or not, which is all a little bit odd. Uh, but nonetheless, we have a game to look forward to. Dan, how excited are you about the Lions tour beginning? I'm really excited for it to for it to get going. It's it isn't the same, is it, as um, as Lions tours that we've known previously. But I am still, I'm still, I'm still excited by it. I've got to be honest. What about you, Beth? I wish the whole thing was on Channel Four instead of just the uh, the pre-tour cash-in. <laughs> I, I tell you what I've enjoyed over the last well enjoyed slash not enjoyed is a couple of these kind of semi-nostalgic pieces doing the rounds about the game in 2005 the the test match against Argentina that was played in Cardiff I don't know if either of you boys went to that game probably not because I had, a, uh, had a, a new baby in the house <laughs> 
Yeah, it no, was. I it. think I missed it. I remember watching it though. Yeah, it was a stinker of a game. I went. It yeah, was, it was that, aren't they? And they always do. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the only. That's the only one I think I remember in my lifetime that's been played over here. No, I just mean the, these pre-tour games that they stage. They're always, uh, they're always a damn scurvy. Like, uh, it, it wasn't, a, it, it wasn't awful. But the last tour, uh, playing the Barbars in Hong Kong. Oh yeah, that was eight years ago, wasn't it? Thirty-eight degrees and one hundred and twenty percent humidity, like. And also, like you know, I think the Barbars now, well, or certainly for a period after that, did at least do a little bit of training, whereas they'd clearly just been on the source for days, and and pitched up, and it was yeah, it was a shamble, <laughs> it was a shambles of a game, wasn't it? Which and is it was niggle, which I thought was odd. It was what? Sorry, niggle in it. Yeah, well. there, what was it? Shout Brits and Owen Farrell having a bit of a dust up. I think yeah. I seem to remember, and they were teammates at the time as well. Yeah. So it was a bit odd. Yeah. But yeah, it was a terrible game. So I'm hoping that Saturday doesn't have a, a similar thing in there. I just think generally the Lions works better away from home, doesn't it? Because it, you know, they're a touring side and you put aside your national allegiances to to pull on the, the red jersey and what have you. But yeah, I don't know. Obviously, it might be a bit different this time around because I think everyone's been so starved of live sports that if you're one of the lucky 15,000 to be in Murrayfield, you'll, I don't know, maybe appreciate it a bit more. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one for you to sort of, uh, as a player, to to really get into, because you you kind of like you said you 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 expect to be away from you know away from home, getting on a plane, getting literally away, and then it starts. So it's almost got like a feel of uh, of like a training ground session. Yet yeah, it's it's going to be watched. It's there's going to be you know people forming opinions on it. And probably a stock can rise or fall depending on the game, but mentally, I think it's a real, a real difficult switch on really for 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 the boys. I reckon. Yeah, it's true, and also you've got the Premiership final taking place on the same day, which is just mm. one of these things that makes rugby look really amateur, isn't it? You know, the fact that you're not able to pick a load of players because they're taking place in the biggest game in English rugby, so you're not able to call upon them. So it's it's just it's one of the frustrations. I would say that's the other way. Uh, it, it, when you said it makes the game look really amateur, when the game was amateur, there was no issue with clashes. No, there, <laughs> there wasn't because no, no one no one was out for making money. <laughs> and yeah, and also and also this game would be on a Wednesday afternoon in the Arms Park at two thirty kickoff, and everyone would be like taking time off work and school <laughs> to go and watch it. That's how we used to work. So it, it's mm. actually sign the fact that it clashes with everything is a sign of professionalism, really, because no one's willing to get out of the way. Everyone's got vested interest and, you know, that's how it is. Obviously, you're right, it does show like an amateurish run-in of the game because they haven't structured the season to, you know, but I mean, obviously they've got an excuse in a COVID year, but um, it it happens to the Lions every four years now is um, you you start the tour and certain people have only just arrived. So, um, yeah, it wasn't an issue. In the old days, they were all given six months off work. To, to get that to get on the on the boat, <laughs> but uh, to play forty matches on the tour, you know that kind of. Nonsense. Do you know? What, do you know what? I, I looked. I looked something up the other day. Again, just got stuck in like a Wikipedia wormhole looking at nonsense when I should have been working. And the '97 Lions tour, which obviously isn't, you know, it doesn't feel that long ago, and obviously was just in the professional era. Straight away after that tour, England went down to Australia and played, and their Lions went and played with them, or certainly most of them did. So, uh, who was uh, whoever was in this, you know, Greenwood and uh, John Bentley got like added his one and only other cap in that game, uh, in a game afterwards, which is just mad, isn't it? To think you'd after that tour, you'd head straight down there and, and take a kick in off Australia. I don't remember that at all. Oh, no, to Australia they went today, to Australia, yeah, right, okay. No, I don't remember that Please. at all. I think, yeah, I don't know. It might have. I can't remember if it was that same tour when they took like a ninety-eight nil shoeing, which started the kind of. I don't know. It might have been a few years later, but it started the kind of. They said they said they learned a lot off that tour anyway, and then obviously went on and won a World Cup a few years well, later. I mean, anyone who was in any English player who was in the Lions Test team would have been burnt out completely before before the start of you know that that English tour. So, like you know. It was good player, good players who Tim Rodber and the likes of them, you know. So um, yeah, that's good boy, good player. Only Tim Rodber. Yeah, he's a big fan. Like one of those grudging, you know, grudging. Yeah. Oh, he's he's one of those I've got no problem liking because he. Exam. He, 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 he was exam. Yeah, he had his he had his best games 
in a red shirt rather than a white one. You know, I think that's the, well, in my memory as well, like Simon Shaw is another one of those where, you know, he, he might have had 60 odd caps for the for England, but I remember him more than anything playing for the Lions. Tom Croft, another one. Yeah, you know, it's they're, they're those players that it's a lot easier to like because they generally haven't scored tries against Wales. Mm. So it's not um, begrudging. Just going back to the game on Saturday again. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Murph. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to mention Tim Robb, but when the first tour they did to... South Africa after South Africa had been let back into his international rugby. I think it was 94 or maybe before that. And uh, it was all televised. I don't know what it must have been like ITV or something. I remember Tim, it, yeah. Tim Robber was immense in that. That's when I started to, the, the the fandom of uh, Tim Robber. But uh, going back to Saturday, um, at least Japan will be trying to play some rugby. Like yeah. we're, we're not, it's not like, a, you know, like Argentina in the past or the Barbas and then that. They're, 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 um, open play type of side so it should be fingers crossed it should be bearable um, and not too too much of a mess you know it, it, is the sport and the tour and everyone in doesn't gain anything by by it being a stop ta- stop start load of referee dominated shite so hopefully they everyone enters into the spirit of it well, look, I think if any side is going to is going to want to do that, it's Japan. They haven't played a huge amount of rugby since the World Cup either. I, they they played a game against the Sunwolves the other the other day, which uh, you know obviously I think they've kind of mm. dragged out of uh, dragged out of their hiatus to to play one game together. So I think you know it's a good opportunity for them. They don't get enough opportunities on the world stage outside of the World Cup, in my opinion. So for them, it's a really good opportunity to lay down a mark. And I think they'll be I think they'll be gunning for it because it's the Lions' first first trip out. So it does add a little bit more to it. Yeah. With that in mind, Dan, I suppose it's not necessarily ideal preparation for South Africa if you're playing a side who's you know fast and mobile and wants to run it from everywhere. You know, is that is that a good thing, bad thing? What do you what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think potentially we've got to make sure that um Lions try and play to I suppose a style that they're gonna they're going to be adopting, you know, to go out to go out and take on South Africa. Really, I think if we, you know, if we try and take them on with with a different type of game plan, then it could. I don't. I don't know how much we'd really get from it, other than a sort of a real blowout. And um, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, I think, most important thing is to is to work the combinations really. Um, of which there's of which there's quite a few across the side, isn't there? Um, there are. Should we do a quick recap of the sides just to the change today, didn't it? There was Tiprick has come in for Hamish Watson, mm. uh, which I believe is a, a training ground concussion. Uh, so just mm. quickly running through the side, starting with the backs Liam Williams, Josh Adams, Robbie Henshaw, Bundyaki, Duan van der Merva, Dan Bigger, and Connor Murray, and then Roy Sutherland, Ken Owens, Xander Fagerson. Ian Henderson, Alan Wynne Jones, Tyg Byrne, Justin Tipperick, Jack Conan, and on the bench is Jamie George, Wynne Jones, Tyg Furlong, Courtney Laws, Toby Falatau, Ali slash Tommy Price, Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell? No. Yeah, Owen Farrell, sorry. And yeah. um uh, and uh, Anthony Watson on the bench. Jim so, Slice, as they say. <laughs> it's um I mean looking at the looking at the lineup as well, Dan, you're talking about a style of play. It doesn't scream we're going to chuck it around, does it? Murray and bigger halfbacks and Van der Merver on the wing and Aki and Henshaw. It, it kind of screams that we're going to get we're going to get physical and try and blow you away. Anything to suggest that 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 won't be the case? Yeah, I think when you look at the when you look at the backs, it it you know it looks it definitely looks that way, doesn't it? With the if you you know it says it all with the centre partnership, doesn't it? But but also that the, the that centre partnership knows knows themselves really well, don't they? And and then you can link into that, you know, Murray and um, and Burn then as well. In um, you know, in a in at six, I think it's going to be a fair. It looks like to be a fairly di- a fairly direct game, doesn't it? But with a with a good bit of uh, a good bit of pace, you know, pace out wide and um, a fifteen as well. It's got to, we've got to be looking at direct direct route there, haven't we? Route one. 
I think so. Murph, how much do you think this team selection reflects what Gatlin's going to do, or is it just a question of who's available? Uh, yeah, obviously there's um, two sides, English sides, playing tomorrow, so they're not going to be involved. But I think if you look across the squad, I mean, there's, there's no like mercurial centre play throughout the squad anyway, is there? You know, so... Not really. Um, you know, the selection for uh, Saturday, even if everyone was available, they're not. you wouldn't imagine a side being picked that looks like they're going to turn into the Harlem Globetrotters, if you know what I mean. No, so, I, um, I think perhaps you might look at Finn Russell at 10 and suggest that that might, you know, that might have opened things up a bit. You could look at yeah. if Hogg was available, that having him do a bit of a dual playmaker role might suggest that. But I don't know. I, I think you're right. I, I Generally, the squad. Elliot Daly at thirteen might suggest you're more expansive, but he's not a he's not a massive distributor of the ball anyway. So, um, you're you're right about Finn Russell, and there's no reason why they couldn't pick him. He's not still playing in France, is he? I think. Yeah, I think they've got a semi final or final. The season goes on for like four years every in France, doesn't it? So yeah. So yeah, I I I thought up there at Murrayfield he might have had a run out first out, but obviously he couldn't pick him anyway. I, I did. I I had forgotten about. France still playing, yeah, they do, don't they? Um, so yeah, it, uh, but he is, you know, he's aside from you know, um, attacking wingers and what have you, um, he is the most attacking and Stuart Hogg, but you know, he, he Stuart Hogg can only get on the end of things, really. Yeah, so really speaking, I mean, Owen Farrell's not a creative 10, so it's only, it's only, uh, and the like I say, the centres are similar. So it's only really Finn Russell who's going to be uh, the go-to guy if they need to mix it up, really. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, the main thing is, though, is they just, apart from anything else, you know, style of play aside, is getting to know each other on the pitch. Yeah. Obviously, they'll be doing loads of male bonding in the background in their training sessions and in their bubbles and all that. But um, there's nothing like under pressure on the pitch in a game to get to know each other so that's just all it is really how much pressure do you think there is on them to to get the result and get underway with a bang Dan I think that you know if it had been you know like if take the four four years ago you know if they'd have lost to New Zealand Barbarians in the first game it maybe wouldn't have mattered too much because you could have said well you know they've only had four days since they've landed whereas this feels a bit more because they're going with a very strong side if they were to lose this one, it would put a bit of pressure on them, don't you think? I do think it would heap the pressure on. Yeah, I do. I think it's very different if you if you lose a game um, uh, when you're actually you've actually been on the plane um, and got over there. But this is, you know, if, if if the Lions end up losing to you know to Japan, then which is which could happen. You know, that could happen. Um, it really would add the pressure on, and you know the press over in SA were really were really winded up, weren't they? And um, because of that, I think it it is it is one of those games which has to be a sort of must win, just because that pressure starts to, starts to build, doesn't it? When you know it's for intents and purposes, it's a bit of a sort of um, I don't know. It's it's not there's not. There's not a huge amount on it, is there? Other than we got to sort of get through it, get a, and get a win, and then get on the get on the plane. Yeah, I think I think it's a difficult one. Like you said, they've got they've got to get that win. I think, but also it's it is it is a banana skin because Japan will know each other very very well and will be coming out and wanting to lay down a marker. So. Yeah, you mentioned it right at the top of the show. That motivation, I think, is going to be crucial. That you know, not that I'm saying they won't be motivated, but they've got to come out at test match level mentality, really, because it's it's um, it is it is a tricky fixture with a side who know each other well, and we know what Japan are capable of when they play their best stuff. Yeah, totally. I think also you've got again from the from the mental side of it, how you can get yourself up for the game when there's you know the the team really is is kind of picked and decided by external factors in terms of the other you know a lot of the other a lot of the boys not being available so you're sort of in the side but would you really be in the side and then also you don't want to get an injury you're desperate not to get an injury in this game that then rules you out because you know yes you're putting on the lion's shirt but i i, I think it's a it's like putting on a training a training ground top, isn't it? It's not you're not wearing the lion's shirt until you're over there. 
true. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, imagine picking up a knock in this game and not even get it, being able to get on the plane. I know, obviously, we, we covered this. It was a really unfortunate situation that Andrew Porter found himself in. And he won't get out, and that happens every time. But it does. It would be particularly cruel to get to put your Lions shirt on, but not to actually make it onto the plane. It just feels like a yeah, very a very difficult one. But you can't go into a test match with that mentality of not wanting to get injured, can you? Or any match, for that matter. Well, I, I was convinced um, Manu Tuolagi was going to end up on this tour. He's and, pulled uh, out of the England A game, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, n- well, being replaced in the squad, which is even worse. Right, good point. So, um, I mean, he's not going to get the call-up now for the Lions. Um, but I, I felt sure. He, I mean, he just looked in his comeback, at, well, there three games maybe for sale. He just looked so... Strong. I mean, they. I mean, they were purring about him in sale before he went on the pitch, but when he was actually playing matches, he just looked ridiculous. Um, he's thirty year old now as well. He's had so many seasons disrupted by injury, but um, he just looked really good. And I felt, I thought, well, first sign of any injury, whatever position in the backs, they probably go for Manu. And uh, that was the end of him. This week is like a commentator's curse. I know I didn't say it out loud on telly or anything, but. Um, yeah, uh, what was the question? Not sure there was one. Yeah, <laughs> we just put it in. <laughs> yeah. The long and the short, the long and the short of it is, you're right. Manu won't be won't be going out there. Quick subplot though, a, a very quick subplot. Josh Navidi made it into the Wales squad. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a surprise yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah well, it was a surprise to me as well. Maybe. Ooh. He's working his way back to full fitness and he might just make it out there after all. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, well, we, we'd said that, you know, when he was left, he'd definitely be first reserve, but we, we, we weren't aware of how uh, severe his shoulder injury was. But it, well, you, were, you were, Murph, because his, his ex-teammates were tipping you off. Yeah, but that's what I mean. But if we'd known, we would, we would you know. So now... N- because we then found out how severe his shoulder, we said, well, he's got no chance. But uh, it depends, you know, how fully fit is he? And like, would he, if he plays the Wales in the first test and goes well, then maybe the Lions would consider him as a replacement. But I, I think fresh out of, off of the, fresh off the physio bench, I don't think the Lions, well, they don't need to, you know, they, they don't need to turn to him. But if he has a game and he goes well, then, it's a possibility. Yeah. No, I think you're right. The, the first test is against Canada as well, isn't it? Which doesn't hold, uh, to use my horse racing form analogy, it's a bit of a canter at, <laughs> you know, it's a canter at Foss Lass on a, on a Tuesday, isn't it? Rather than, a, yeah. yeah, rather than Gold Cup form, that one, I think. Hopefully we don't lose that now. <laughs> just, just quickly to wrap up on the Lions before we go to a quick break and then have a look at a few other things in the second half. I don't know about you, fellas. I mean, obviously, I know Dan's, Dan seems seems super keen, but I almost feel like this has just crept up on me a bit. I think with all the other sport that's going on at the moment, particularly, you know, particularly the Euros and stuff, it it does feel very, very different to a normal to a normal year. I don't know whether that will change when they get out to South Africa, and obviously, you know, things things die down with the football. But you don't you're not normally competing with a major football tournament, plus all the other stuff that's postponed, plus you have got the Olympics and stuff coming on. I don't know. I don't know, in my head, I was thinking this is going to be this amazing summer of sport. And now I'm just thinking, well, there's there's so many things that I'm not even keeping up. There's a, there's a cricket match going on in Cardiff right now. That There's a, an international game I didn't even realise was... was no, I didn't. No. I just, you know. And they've got um, spectators as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's strange, isn't it? Just I, I think almost it's just like such a, a glut mm. of sport happening at once. I think the Lions will, will kick into full swing. I just think for me at the moment, it feels a little bit like the... The phony war before we get underway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I they, they they always. I mean, like I said at the top of the podcast, they always do feel like a cash in. These, I mean, I know they they do serve a purpose because everyone gets a run out, but they do feel like they're, you know, because if this was a uh, fully attended, you know, they, mm. those tickets to watch the Lions on a pre. A pre-tour game they're not cheap you know they're full price Twickenham type jobs I know I had one <laughs> but, uh, yeah yeah that's uh that's it saved me a few Bob not being able not being able to go but <laughs> how did you have one so early how, how good general sale general sale 
Yeah, my mate Ollie, who you know, in fact, has been on the came on the pod a, f- a few years ago on, on the last Lions tour. Uh, he, yeah, he bought them, and and <laughs> I actually ended up having a rescheduled stag do for my mate, which is going on this weekend. So I, I said, oh, I, I should go on. I, I'm going to go on that one. And as it happened, we lost our tickets anyway. But they've booked accommodation up in, <laughs> up in Scotland and everything. So at the moment, they're 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 trying to find pubs that are showing the bloody game, trying to get a booking, which is which is even harder than getting a ticket. So uh, yeah, good um, good luck to those boys. How did you lose the tickets? So they didn't. They haven't lost the tickets, but originally it was going to be fully open, and then it became a they reduced capacity. So um, so yeah, they've ended up they've ended up getting a refund on the tickets, but having booked accommodation to go out to Murrayfield and all the pubs, all the pubs are fully booked. Yeah. I mean, oh, enough. They're still in quite heavy restrictions up there as well, aren't they? So Yeah, they are. It's more, yeah. Oh, so are we, so are we in Cardiff. Yeah, it's exactly. Six to a team. They should, they should head to Glasgow. It's a great, great night out. I'm not sure it is right now, mate. I think, it, I think it probably is in normal times, but yeah, at the moment it might be it might be a bit different. If you, look, if you look long enough, there's always some establishment flouting the rules, and you, you just walk in and everyone stood up at the bar. Uh, that's been that's been. <laughs> <laughs> I can't name names, but that's been happening around the around the country. Yeah, yeah. keep keep looking, keep looking, boys. I'm sure uh, I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> but while we're talking Edinburgh and Glasgow, we're going to be talking about them a little bit more when it comes into the second half because we're going to be talking about the uh, the United Rugby championship as it as it will now be known and i'm keen to get your boys thoughts on that uh we'll be doing that after this very very quick break welcome to the second half of the attacking scrum podcast uh I mentioned in the first half there was some cricket going on at the same time. We've no idea what's going on in that. Murph's given us an update in the Euros and we're both sat here cursing Dan Killick because he's meant we're missing it. So I hope you appreciate it. That that's what we're that's what we're doing for you. We're missing some genuinely exciting football uh, to talk about the Pro 16. <laughs> <laughs> or as it is now known, or as it is now known, the United Rugby Championship. Uh, so we've had a change in name, uh, a change in format, some more teams added, which I, I think we knew was going to happen anyway. Uh, it's going back to a league structure of sorts. We've got the South African team's being eligible for the Heineken Cup. There's quite a lot actually in this. I'm surprised it's not made more news outside of the odd Western Mail article there. Any thoughts from you boys? Who wants to start us on this one? I don't mind. Go on, Murph, get get in there. I I was shocked by the um, access into the European Cup that the South African sides have got. I, I, I just assumed France and England would object you know, because it's kind of their baby these days, let's be honest. Uh, apart from the odd appearance from Leinster and what have you. But, uh, yeah, very surprised. I mean, that, that transformed, it's not just this URC thing. Let me take that right, URC or UCR? UFC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, UFC 2005. Um, yeah, it, it, it not only, like I say, not only transforms the um, Celtic League as it was back in the day, it transforms the European Cup because it's not the European Cup anymore. It's the, I don't know what the Isle Cup it is, but um, now, you know, the, potentially the best side in South Africa could could dominate European Cup. It's not called the European Cup, I know that, but the Champions Cup for the next so many seasons in the same way as, say, uh, Saracens have done in the past or Lens. Yeah, Toulouse and Toulon and, and the likes, yeah. Yeah, we could end up in a situation like that, which is going to feel really weird. And, and I mean... Uh, I feels this exciting in a way, but I just wasn't expecting this um, scenario to, to to lead to that that situation. And I, it, there's been no, from what I can tell, there's been no reaction over the border. They don't yeah. seem to have even blatted an eyelid at the fact that that the Bulls and the Stormers are going to be going head to head with, you know, uh, Exeter and Bristol, and next season Saracens will be back. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, South African derby between Saracens and. Uh, and the <laughs> I did. They have. They haven't got as many South Africans as they used to. Have they? Sale versus Sale. Sale. That's yeah. the one. That's what. Big I'm, SA I'm, loving. Yeah. <laughs> my um. 
yeah, my uh, my English rugby knowledge is a good ten years out of date there, isn't it? But... <laughs> Richmond got a lot of them as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, you're going back that far. Newport had them all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, right, let us look in, in this in further detail, though, because, yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right, Murph. It's really interesting. But there's something else that I find a little bit strange about this is the qualification has gone back to being not a meritocracy, if you know what I mean. So the qualification for Europe is not a straightforward top six or top eight. It's based on geography again. So the top team from each of the national pools, in inverted commas, so just to recap, it will be it will be organised as a league season. So there will be uh, <laughs> there will be the sixteen teams in there, uh, and then it will go to playoffs after that. But that won't determine who qualifies for Europe. There'll be national pools, and the 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 top ranked side out of each of those will qualify for for the Heineken Cup, and then after that, it will go down to league positions. So let's say, for example, the Bulls finished uh, top of the South African pool. Uh, they would qualify for Europe. Um, but the Stormers might finish second in the league overall behind the Bulls and Leinster would qualify for Europe ahead of them, if you see what I mean. Right. So how many places are we getting though? Eight, I believe. No, how many in Wales? Oh, in Wales. So one, guaranteed. <laughs> Plus, oh. then down to league rankings. See, because if you remember, Which, yeah. the, the big reorganisation of the Heineken Cup was to stop all this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the that's that's another thing. There's, there's been no noise because England and France <laughs> kicked up such a stink about basically yeah. about Leinster putting out their resies every week and then yeah. coming fully loaded to the Heineken Cup. But they've yeah. proven that they can put out their resies every week, still win the league, and then win the Heineken Cup as well. So. It's a strange one, but also this is this is a really strange thing. There was an interview of Martin and I, the CEO of uh, of, of the URC, as it now is, with uh, BBC Wales middle of last week, I think, and it's he basically kind of said we're going to need financial regulation in this league. Now the Irish have been bang against that, but I've not heard a huge amount that says, you know, that says that they're they're kind of disagreeing with any of this. So I don't know. The, the whole thing just feels a little bit. A little bit strange compared to what the the power struggle we've had over the previous decade. I honestly think a lot of people, obviously, won't, it's not next season because they, they've got to play, they've got to play a, a, a qualification season. The South African sides in, in this new league before they go into Europe. I think a lot of people have been sleeping on this and, be, and will be in shock when they realise who's going to be lining up against. Their clubs. Maybe it goes back to our point about this summer of sport, everything kind of being buried a little bit. That yeah, yeah. Normally an, an announcement like this on a wet and windy November when there's nothing else going on might have might have made a bit more of an impact. Well, or maybe yeah. it's an indictment yeah. on, the, on how bad the league has become that no one really pays any attention to any news headlines it generates. On a slow news day, it would have got some, <laughs> would have got some coverage. Um but there's too, yeah, you're right. There's too much going on for it to even surface. <laughs> That's it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, there's a few a few interesting political subplots that go with it. But to come back to the format, Dan, it kind of moves back towards a league structure. Uh, it's got a new name um, and some new teams. Is this a step in the right direction for it being a more competitive, meaningful league? There's less. There's less clash with international fixtures as well. What are your thoughts on the the competition overall? Yeah, I think it should become more more competitive, shouldn't it? Um, there's probably going to be a little bit more interest, you know, interest surrounding it. But um, I don't know. It, it doesn't still, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm usually uh, the optimistic one, the optimistic one here, and. Um, I can't really get excited. I can't really get excited by it at all. I, you know, who can really? I mean, we're going back to your point about the, um, you know, that whole sort of meritocracy and there being no noise over the border. It is totally like it hasn't hit there. It hasn't landed. It's just not hit. It's just not hit the press at all, isn't it? Because you do. I can imagine it almost go. You'd think it would go down like a lead balloon, but it's like no, no problem. Yeah, happy days. Um, do, you, do you think it could be a move? And again, I'm getting very uh, 
what's the word, big picture here, but is this a move towards something much, much bigger in three, four years' time? You know, I think it is some yes. kind of world league, some kind of world club cup that you have both, uh, you know, both hemispheres taking part in. It certainly looks, it certainly, or is it just yeah. a case that South Africa haven't been able to find a home for their teams and, and this is the, you know, the, the next obvious thing? I would say the most likely thing is desperation for, for economically speaking down in South Africa, but it is also like a, if you like a trial for unifying the seasons between mm. a Southern Hemisphere mm. nation like South Africa and, and up here. But I, obviously that that's much more difficult with New Zealand, Australia because of the, the diagonal nature of where they are. They're not, I mean, we're, we're on the same time zone and everything in South Africa. So it, it, it mm. does actually work in that regard. But um, I think primary reason is just cash strapped, and, and you know not just cash strapped, but really difficult to keep hold of any of their players in the country. They're all they're all in France and England, so um, and, and and Ireland. But um, yeah, it, it would be much harder to integrate the the other two major nations. So I think it's yeah. just inspiration myself. Yeah, I, I I think it's somewhere in between. Um, I, for what it's worth, I think they've made a, a half decent job of rebranding it, you know, and kind of ditching the pro, you know, like the pro 14 was the most unimaginative title in the world because it's just like, well, you know, how many teams are in the league 14? Uh, are they professional? Yeah. I was called the pro 14 then. I was like, at least it's kind of trying something a bit different. It's a bit odd that it's called the championship when you've already got the rugby championship and the RFU championship and probably a few other championships knocking around. But it's... I don't know. It, it, at least they've they've gone and and tried to do something a bit fresh rather than trying to expand their really stale tournament. And it's back to a league structure, which I think is better. But I think Dan is right. Like it's about that overall cross border interest. I mean, we've just we've said that it's not rippled much of a much attention in England, given the fact that Gloucester might be playing the Bulls at some point in the next eighteen months. I also just think like it's great for South Africa and it's good that they've got the backing of a good broadcaster in Supersport over there. But at the same time, are they going to care when the Dragons are playing Treviso? You know, they're not. That's the problem is there's yeah. just too many. And, and actually fair play to Benetton for winning the Rainbow Track Cup. But there's just too many fixtures that do not mean anything that go on that go on throughout the course of a league season. I think if you had either a Celtic league, a British and Irish league, an Anglo-Welsh league, something like that, that was your bread and butter because you've got the history and the rivalries that go with it. And that led led into a, you know, more of a, a World Club Cup at some point. I think that would be great because you, you've got the local thing and then it elevates to, a, to an international scale afterwards. But on a week-by-week basis, it's hard to get people in, people in Cape Town excited about something happening in Connacht isn't it that's what yeah. I think that's that's where I think it will always suffer from do, do you think this development pushes the possibility of an Anglo-Welsh league further away mm, I don't know if it goes quite well I mean it's not going to be a massive hit because of what you just said but if it goes quite well the, the, like the English are not well like I said before they, they, are, they all are running a loss but they know that even so, they're not in any great hurry to integrate the Welsh regions into their league, are they? Because they're going to have to, they're going to have to make room and everything, or split into two conferences, and you know all the other possibilities. Yeah, then you know, they're not. But at the same time, I think that we've got the the kind of the spectre of CVC lurking over everything, which I know I keep coming back to, but they've not played their hand yet. They've still not played their hand. This is the start of something. There must be a degree of CVC influence here, but. I feel like this is a bit of a bridging thing for the next three seasons while the TV deals roll out. So while the BT deal finishes with uh, with the English Premiership, uh, you know, I think the, the Premier Sports one runs for three or four years or whatever. I think the BBC will get involved in some degree with the, the, the URC as well. But after that, that kind of gives you enough time if you're CVC and have enough influence over the global game to shape something that, 
is going to be of interest to a big sporting audience that's going to generate money because this isn't going to generate money in the long run is it it's just going to it's going to paper over some cracks for a little while the concept of a world rugby club championship could get people interested you can sell that to someone who likes the six nations but doesn't watch any club rugby you can sell that in as a big friday saturday night fixture who's playing canterbury crusaders versus versus saracens the semi-finals of the the world club rugby championship that's something that someone can get behind so i i do still feel like there's a bigger there's a bigger play at hand here in in the next few years could, they're just could... biding their time aren't they i reckon so i don't know laying low laying low well they 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 are though aren't they they're not as you said they're not making it they're not going to be making any those those boys want to be making some serious some serious cash don't they they're not making it from this i mean it's no. absolutely mickey mouse just go compared yeah. to what they want to be what they want with the returns they want don't they so they're just lying low for a while this move could this development uh the, the ufc as we're calling it it could do more for the european tournament than it does for us for the for our league uh because, like I say, potentially having the top couple of um, South African sides heading off against Toulouse and, uh, and Exeter and everyone else, Leinster, could generate more interest in that tournament than it necessarily would in, 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 a, in a league structure. So, yeah, it's, I, like I say, I don't think anyone's really paid attention, are they? So it's going to be very interesting to see how it, see how it pans out. Yeah. yeah, it will do. I, I think you're right. The season after next, when you've got South African sides turning up for the Heineken Cup, it'd be interesting. I, I just don't know whether it will be a novelty or it depends how seriously they take both of these competitions. Because if the South African side suddenly go, do you know what? This is this is nonsense. You know, we can turn up at we can turn up in at Zebra or we can turn up at Rodney Parade with a B team and beat these guys. And they start, you know, rotating the squad a lot. It's not going to add much to the to the competition because again, you're going to end up with a load of a load of dead rubber, meaningless fixtures. With the European Cup or the the Heineken Cup, that might be that might be different because you've got big big fixtures that that they can kind of get behind, and that's where you're going to see your stars, the stars playing. You know, your Peter Steftetoits and and these guys coming out and and exciting an audience. Yeah. Uh, another issue, obviously, this depends on the structure of the, the tournament, but as it stands now, if you're in a pool with someone, you pay, you play home and away against two different sides. Then in the second round, which is normally December, you play home against someone on the Saturday, and then seven days later, you play them away. So imagine if you get the Stormers in that fixture, who's going to be up for that? You play, uh, play the Stormers in Cardiff, then seven days later, you're going to play them in. I don't know if someone's played Durban or somewhere. Um, so that I don't know if that would work. Uh, I suppose I don't know. I don't know if that would work in that, in that regard. But th- then you know, in the, the normal traditional way it works, January they play one game up here, and then uh, in a piss wet cold, and then seven days later they're playing down in Cape Town, and it's you know it's unbearably hot. So there are some weird aspects of it as well, you know. Yeah, that is that's a good point because I think obviously during the league season it will end up, I, my guess, being like it was with the the cheaters and the Southern Kings, and you have these kind of mini tours yeah. where you play a couple of games down there and come back. Mm. I don't know if that's feasible with the the Heineken Cup, is it? I mean, no. Yeah, if you've got like you say, even if even if you were to do back to back, it is tricky, isn't it? Because you maybe maybe you just have to face the South Africans away first up. And you face them in October. Away. Yeah, Everyone yeah, has to like, do that. And then ideally, if they come up here, they wouldn't want to just play one game and go back. They would play someone else from their pool as well. But they will be based up here, sort of, anyway, won't they? Because oh, they're not going to league. Oh, right, they'll so be playing they... their league games here as well, of course. Oh, okay, I guess. Yeah. But but it, it, but it, but in, but English sides won't be. You know, English sides, like you say, will be. You know, Gloucester or I don't know. Why I keep using Gloucester, but Gloucester might be playing Northampton one week. And then playing the Stormers at home, uh, the Stormers away, and then the following week playing the Stormers at home, back in the back in the cold again. It's yeah, uh, there's a lot of logistics that will have to be get figured out between now and the start of the 2022 season. Who knows? Yeah, something like that. 
Don't know. Yeah, I'd it's 2022, but it's 2022-23. Yeah, it is. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Just yeah, it does. It does feel like we've just lost a whole year of our lives, doesn't it? And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we have. This, yeah. this, this South African. Uh, I feel like I've lost a, a whole year of my life every time I watch a Pref 14 game. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not over yet, by the way. Might, we might lose another year yet. <laughs> the um, the South African sides must be must be really excited by it c- coming from sort of what what you know where they've been where they've been. Oh, I it's, don't know. If you're if you're old enough and you played in Super Rugby, are you really going to get excited about playing against Zebra and? Connacht and the Dragons when you've been playing the Crusaders and the Blues and yeah, but they, they're not going to play but... Zebra, Connacht and the Dragons all the time, are they? They're going to they're going to play some of the stronger sides and also you know some of the Duff Australian sides that have folded over the years couldn't have been very exciting either. So um, and yeah, I don't know. Easier, yeah. tra- I know it's for, I know it's a long distance, eleven hour flight for some of them, but it's easier travel because you're on the same time zone and everything. So. Yeah, I think the time zones for them in terms of like that. Oh, yeah, that's the enjoyment. Like, is a real, a real horrible one for them. And I, I, I think, I don't know. Obviously, I've got no idea. But I, I get the impression that they'd probably be quite, uh, quite excited by the prospect of, you know, playing, uh, playing different, playing different sides, knowing that at, at, at the end of it, they've got the, you know, they're going to be in. They've got the opportunity of coming into, you know, a super. A, a superb tournament really um the thing is i don't feel like the heineken cup is a superb tournament anymore i feel like it was wasn't it oh it was definitely and i don't know quite what i can't quite put my finger on what it is that it's kind of lost its place a little bit maybe it's just because yeah we follow the welsh regions and there hasn't been much to cheer about and you kind of lose that bit of attention but for a while, it hasn't felt right to me. And again, it goes back to, I can't remember if we had the microphones on when we were talking about this, but, you know, with like with the Euros going on now, there's too much confusion about who qualifies. I think that the beauty of having a, a knockout, like the World Cup, for example, you know that the top two teams from each pool qualify and it, it all lies on that. And I kind of feel like the Heineken Cup suffers from all this nonsense of, you know, that you, if you lose your first two games, you may as well not bother. And there's too much. There's too much of that goes on. Now, if you make it to the quarterfinals, it can be it can be absolutely brilliant. And you know, you, you ask Scarlets fans about those amazing away days, or you ask any you know Wasps fans about winning the winning the whole thing, and and they'll have amazing memories to talk about it. But I don't feel I just kind of don't feel like the tournament modernised when it had that opportunity in 2013. It just kind of. France and England tried to stick two fingers up to everyone else and and make it a bit more about them. And the tournament had an opportunity to to evolve and become a bit easier to follow. And I don't, I don't know, I don't get, I don't get anywhere near as excited about it now as I did, as I did ten years ago. Yeah, I think I, I I'd agree with you there. I, I'm probably probably guilty of remembering what it what it was. Um, and yeah, I, I'm probably not that not that excited about it really now. You now you mention it, but that's got to be because of how poor. Just how poor the um, our sides have gone, you know. It's almost definitely part of it. And and you think if if any of the Welsh sides got through, you know, we'd all be we'd all be so much more excited and invested in it because you back any of the, you know, you back any of the Welsh regions, whether you support them or not. You, you'd you'd want them to you'd want them to win, and you know how good you know how good does it feel in, with with Wales in the football, you know, qualifying to the next round. It just makes it makes the tournament so much more exciting, doesn't it? to have your size in it yeah it de- it definitely does i just think the problem is that it's but i i don't know I, th- I think it's become a bit predictable now and this is the problem with with club rugby to a certain degree is that you don't get the upsets that you do in that you do in football so if there's more money involved and more money goes to certain sides and they're better funded the chances of someone causing an upset are so much slimmer now than they ever have been and unless you create a system that that redistribute some of that wealth and i'm not saying it just should be handouts but there should be something in place that that tries to keep things competitive and that's why actually that martin and i talking about there being wage caps i think it's something that's that's quite that's quite encouraging in a way you know the welsh region's got a lot of problems financially but um you know if you keep fighting and get going i just think that look sport is about quite it's about competition and 
like you say, no, no one took any joy in the Lions beating the Barbarians 87 points to three in Hong Kong because it was just, it was a non-event. Nothing happened. The, 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 the thrill you get from sport is it being a, a close contest. I don't, I don't, you know, at the moment I just see there being, there being a power play going on across, across club rugby and none of them are, are making enough money. You know, like we said about the English clubs, they're not, they're, they're all making losses and so actually, and France is heavily funded by sugar daddies and to a certain extent, a big broadcast deal, but that's not sustainable. That can't go on forever. And it's it's not interesting if you know that Leinster are going to win the league every year and that Saracens are going to win the Heineken Cup or whatever it is. It just, it just makes sport not interesting. Whereas at least in the 90s, you didn't... I know there, there were teams who were dominant and obviously Bath won the English league a lot, but... There were big rivalries and and sides could upset them on their day. I just I I don't know. I feel like if that isn't addressed in this this next these crucial next couple of years, then I don't know. Then the Welsh sides will kind of drop off drop off the radar of European rugby and and might even not you know drop off existence completely. How would you address it, Jed? What would you do? There's a question when we're trying to wrap up and get in. Go and watch the second half of the football. Murph's um, gone. <clears throat> he's, he's, he's watching no, the football. He's got, he's, got one, he's got one eye on it, hasn't he? Uh, no, I, I, I deliberately switched it off when the pod started because I knew I would just zone out and, and be even more uh, unintelligible than I normally am. So I had to switch it off, I promise. What would I do? Um, look, I think, again, I keep coming back to this and I know CVC are not in this for making the game better but i just uh, sorry they're not in it for the you know the goodness of their own heart they're in it to make money but i do think that competition makes things exciting so if sides get the opportunity to earn money and then therefore recruit better and have stronger squads all in all and you you know you have a lot less mismatches that will produce better competitions which will in, uh, which will excite a lot more casual fans it will bring in more audiences it will um it will excite more broadcasters it will generate more money you'll sell more tickets that's that's the route to to kind of creating money as i see it more uh, more viewers more popular sports more chance of sponsors getting involved that's how you bring money into the game so i think there just has to be a structure where there is a cap on wages so that it's it's competitive and you can't have sides of playing budget that's five six seven eight nine times higher than some other sides in the league and expect it to be competitive so that's part of it i think but then also you know you need prize money in there that is gonna that's gonna be reflective of that and something that that means that all the sides have an opportunity to to spend their money wisely and and but go out there and earn it when they can they can cause an upset i mean how much money have treviso realistically bought into them by winning the rainbow track cup I can't imagine it's a, I can't imagine it's a huge amount. Yet, you know, that is, if anyone cared about the tournament, that's a really, that's a really good achievement. And and I think that's that's the that's the bit that has to be looked at is there just needs to be an opportunity to earn money through through winning things and performing better and getting better. And there also needs to be something that puts in place a cap on the sides who have the best resources money wise. Uh, to to just be able to to constantly strengthen their their squad because otherwise you will just have you'll have what we have now and it will get worse. So we definitely need some some serious intervention. <laughs> yeah, but also you know there's there is not enough money in rugby going round to to continually spend that much money on on players' wages as it is, which brings us on Dan to the Corey Hill situation. Yes. So yes. again, since we've last always played, rely on me. I can always rely on you, Dan. Since we've last spoke, Corey Hill has withdrawn from the Wales squad to, inverted commas, pursue opportunities abroad, which you would presume mean that he's pretty far down the line if uh, if he's withdrawing from the squad. Seems like Japan might be the the option for him, and a pretty decent um, a pretty decent contract awaits for him. So, first thing is, Dan, how much of a blow is that to Cardiff and Wales? And secondly. Are we going to see more of this? It's it's a huge blow to Cardiff. It's also a huge blow to Wales because he's just he's a fantastic player, isn't he? 
fantastic player, fantastic leader, such a smart operator. So, yeah, it's it's not it's not good news. But with the with was with, with what's going on in Wales, you cannot you cannot uh, point a finger at him or lay lay any blame at his door, can you? It's exactly what. It's exactly what he's got to do if he's offered, you know, I don't know, he's rumoured to be offered, what, 750000 I mean... Really? I thought I'd heard half a mil, but... Well, I holy mean, you know. shit. Mean, yeah, I, I saw half a mil. And then, yeah, exactly. You've got to say good for him. And he's, he's, he's only, you know, he's one training session or one gym session, whatever, away from, a, from, 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 from it being called a day. You... He, you, you, you've got to take it, haven't you? Even even if it means that you can't play for you can't play for your national side. I think it, it it's kind of it's sad. It is sad, but it's it's absolutely inevitable, isn't it? There's a there's a couple of things with this story. One is it's gone quite quiet now. Like it mm. should have. I know we've talked about it. It's, it's not many slow slow news days in sport at the moment. So you know maybe that's why it's not rumbled on in the press or the media or anything. Um. Because, like I say, the announcement was made, and then he, you know, he's just pulling out of the Welsh squad, and obviously being bought out of his Blues contract. In must be no, um, he's not. I believe so. When they renegotiated the the twenty five percent pay cut, which lots of players did, right? That is believed, or certainly by some agents, seems to be essentially the con- that contract being breached. Therefore, you are able to leave outside of. Uh, right. You're able to leave before your contract ending, which that's so, that's the bit that could get messy because yeah, if some, this is a one-off. I kind of don't blame Corey Hill mm. for for taking you know a, a huge you know a huge paycheck like Dan says when you're only one injury away from it ending. Mm. But that's the bit where it could get messy that a load of people come sniffing around, and yeah, you know, yeah. it, it makes yeah. that sixty cap rule a little bit. A little bit vulnerable. Yeah, well, someone knowledgeable on Twitter, I can't remember who it was now, could have been Steph Thomas, could have been someone else, was trying to suggest that the pay cut, which, I mean, which was unavoidable, not much Mm. could be done about the pay cut, but the shenanigans around it, uh, in terms of late paying and different messing about that's gone on, is a major contributing factor to, aside from the huge (laughs) wage bill, wages being offered, is a major contributing factor to um, Corey taking up the offer, and you know it is. I mean, it, it is a big, big step for him personally because he would have been in the wild squad for the next few seasons, and then possibly taking on more captaincy roles. And so, you know, it, the the, the weight, sheer weight of money has made him turn all that down. You know, but. Um, yeah, someone was trying to suggest that it was something to do with the way the WIU has handled this 25% pay cut and, uh, and what have you. But um, and that's why I'm a bit surprised it's gone quiet because that's like a red rag to journalists. It's know, like, but, yeah, it's a feeding frenzy, isn't it, really? Yeah, so maybe there is, you know, maybe there is no uh, actual fire to, to match the smoke. I don't know. But um, I, I think, yeah, no, I, I think that... Um... You know, with the, with the pay cuts, the uh, you know the players the players have to take, and just the the absolute levels of uncertainty that are in the Welsh that are in the Welsh game, it's got to be really difficult for the players to sort of <clears throat> well, one I think to, to you know to concentrate. They've they've sort of they've got a contract, but they haven't got a contract. They've got agents saying, look, you know, you know, there's. Uh, because agents drive a lot of uh, uh, these 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 conversations, opportunities, don't they? It's business business for the agents as well. And if you're presented with you know any any of these sorts of sums when you've got absolute uncertainty that's surrounding you, I, I think it's um, I think it'd be nigh impossible for uh, for someone like Corey to, to to turn it down. And the big worry is, isn't it now that you know, they, 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 this could be the beginning of a of an exodus of our of our top top players. If um, if it's almost like a loophole for um, for eight, for eight, for clubs to start sniffing around and 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 taking away our top talent when it was just starting to, you know, 
it was just starting to work the other way, wasn't it? With players coming back into Wales, mm. strengthening the strengthening well, the has. regions, it, and it has worked. You know, you know it's kept it players. Has, yeah. It's kept players like like Moriarty and you know, so I'm just thinking of the Dragons, Moriarty and Wayne Wright and and players like that who Josh Adams, Josh Adams has come back, uh, Jonah Holmes. Loads and loads of players here. You've got Prothero, who you know was in the English system, but has obviously got an eye yeah. on playing for Wales. Will, Will Rowlands, Will Griff, John, Thomas Francis. Is, there's tons, and people don't realise how successful it is. At all. Yeah, it's been brilliant, so, isn't it? And yeah. One of the things that winds winds me up. I know I've probably mentioned this before. Is there's a, there's a school of thought on you know Welsh rugby Twitter as it is that um, we're arrest we're arresting the development of, these, of some of these players because they could be playing at a higher standard every week. Uh, in the English league or any or any league anywhere, I suppose, um, getting better quality opposition and then being better international players um, when they come and play for us. But what those people never mention or fail to realise is England don't pick anyone that doesn't play in England. Mm. If no. you move out of England, you don't play. No matter if you've got 5,000 caps, you will not get picked. No matter how good you are, it happened to Stefan and Delon Armitage. They were both mm. really good at at various stages of their career. And because they weren't in England, no chance. Uh, and so why are they doing that? Like, if they've got all the resources and all the money, why do they do it? Because it's really important for your league. And that's what, you know, the issue is in this. If, if you if you just become an empty, bloody development, uh, well, we're in trouble as it is. But yeah, if you become exactly. an empty development league, when all your best players are playing somewhere else, it will affect your international side. And obviously it will kill off your well, I was going to say grassroots, but your, your, your local professional team. So there's a reason why they do it. I mean, French, the French do it as well, and the New Zealanders. The, be, the best, one of the best second rows ever couldn't play for New Zealand because he was in Japan, and now he's just moved back to New Zealand. And as soon as he's arrived, they picked him again. So it's not, it's not, it's not just Wales with this 60 capital. 60 capital is actually lenient. Well, Ireland, Ireland as well. You know, it's it's yeah. only a few. Yeah, I mean, so obviously Scotland and South Africa have, uh, you know, don't don't have that in place. But right. only only poor countries <laughs> have to come up with some kind of arrangements where players can go abroad because they've got yeah. no economic defence against it. But anyone, any other country says no. If you're not playing here, you're not playing for the national side. So there's a reason why countries do it, and you know, obviously. Probably the throbbers who go on about it on Twitter don't listen to this podcast. So I, I'm not going to get my point across. But, uh, <laughs> so, you know, but I think uh, the point, what I'm trying to say is I'm right. Done. Agreed. Done. Yeah. Agree with that Agreed. one. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And while we're while we're wrapping up the podcast and talking about transfers, Alex Cuthbert is heading back to Wales while we while we talk about this. Uh, so he's Go heading on, heading heading to the Ospreys, who have been very heavy in the in the recruitment market, as we covered on previous podcasts. Dan, a good bit of business to use a bit of football parlance there for you. And B, could we see a return to Cathy in a Wales shirt at some point? Oh, I'd lo- I'd love to see that. Just because it would be a massive like redemption story. It would be like, a, well, it would. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. It would make. There was the type of thing you make a film about because you know he was he was persona non grata there for a while. Mm. So we could uh, make a film about it. Is <laughs> 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 I in you know? There's a lot more competition now in the uh, wing. For, yeah, in there wing. is. So. Um, He'd have to be right on his very best 2013 form to uh, to break into the Welsh side. Yeah, how good was his form though? Then I mean, when you look back over, it's so easy to forget, isn't well, it? For like, a guy okay. who was a novice, really, he oh, went from he went from you know, was he captain his first season at Cardiff? I think he was, wasn't he? I think he basically was playing yeah. on the wing for Cardiff, had whatever it was, 15 no, games, I, and then became Shane's replacement. Well, I think it was earlier than that. I think he was he was earmarked in the Welsh sevens. Seven. That's right. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he broke all sorts of, uh, as it was then, try scoring records for Wales in a in a seventh season, I think, or in one tournament he broke some sort of record, and uh, they they flagged him out straight away, and then and then he was almost in the Welsh squad before he even had a game, many games for Cardiff. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, he was he was so needed at the time uh, mm. when he came along because he had. Lost Mark Jones, I think. Is it that far back? I don't know. I no, it was Shane. Shane went after the 2011 World Cup. He retired yeah. and yeah. Uh, and 
Cuthbert basically took the took the spot, didn't he? George moved from one wing to the other, and Cuthbert took the other slot. Yeah. So yeah, good. I got good luck to him. Anyway, I mean, he he he, he lives in the, in uh, Cardiff somewhere, probably Poncana, because only professional sports people can afford <laughs> to live in Poncana. Yeah, good luck to him. I, 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 if he lives in Boncana, that usually means you've got to play for the Scarlets because that's where most of the Scarlets Well, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. But yeah, he's, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. I think the Wales thing is probably a little a little way off, like you say, because there's a lot more competition in that in those positions now. Well, even, George North can't, even George North can't get on the Welsh side on the wing anymore. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, but I, I, I think uh, I think for the Ospreys, it gives them a load of experience. And do you know what I would say to him as well is I think fair play for coming back to Wales because it's the, you know, he we, we've covered this, Dan, before, haven't we? we? When we first started the podcast, that was the end of Alex Cuthbert's time in a Wales shirt and he was having a torrid time and he basically should have been playing club rugby rather than international rugby to try and recover his form and, and some confidence. But to be able to then say, do you know what, I'm coming back and I'm playing, you know, I'm going to come and play in Wales when... He probably doesn't need to financially. He's probably had a good couple of years at Exeter. He's probably had a, you know, a good few contracts and a good few appearance fees and win bonuses for Wales that he probably doesn't need to, at this stage in his career to come come over to Wales when he could go and get a gig somewhere else in England, in France, in Japan, even as we said. I don't know, either he's really hungry to get back in a red shirt or he just feels like he's got a point to prove here. And, and you know, good luck to him. I think he, when he's, you know, when he's playing his best rugby, he's, He's a lethal finisher, not just a big, strong, you know, ball carrier. He's, it's his finishing ability that I think is is what is what has always been his strength. Is when he's got a sniff of the line, he does a really good job of putting tries away. So, I think I think it will be a good sign at the Ospreys, and they're building it. They're building a strong squad for next season. They are building a strong squad, and I feel that part of that is um, is a big reason in why he's you know why you would have decided to go there as well obviously there's a few few pound notes floating floating around but it's quite exciting what's going on down at the Ospreys isn't it um on the field and um you know maybe it's it's, it's probably time for a you know a different podcast on this but what they're doing off the field is um is as exciting as on it isn't it so there's um there's a lot happening there isn't there there is and I'm sure we will cover that in weeks to come uh stick with us we'll be back Next week, uh, we'll be back on Monday, in fact, with a reaction to the first Lions game of the tour, or not of the tour, but the first Lions game of uh, of what will soon be the tour. Uh, thanks to both Dan and Murph for joining me. Big thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some great quality coffee, then make sure you head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk in order to do that. Dan Killick is looking intently at the camera, which is... Uh, hugely scary it's like the Blair Witch Project but with some kind of Cowbridge twist to it I don't know the Ben Blair Witch Project um but then we've also got uh yeah we've also got loads more rugby to talk to you about as well we'll be here throughout uh throughout the Lions tour so make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that uh if we do create some bonus episodes you won't miss out on them and hopefully we've got a couple of top quality guests lined up including a couple of lions themselves. So yeah, be sure to stick with us and we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Podcast Network.